Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Have you ever been to Vegas? What's Ted like behind closed doors? How do you cope knowing the universe is infinite, but your consciousness can end in a second? I've been to Vegas many times. One night is good. Two nights is perfect. Three is too many. Ted is a man. Just a man. And as for the fragility of life, I'm so glad someone finally asked. Because, yeah, I got a few thoughts. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it, and that it helps you discover your own lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. All right, welcome back. Oh, we're just starting. We're starting the episode. Are we starting the episode already? Oh my goodness, we have. We don't have to. Oh no, let's go. Okay, I was just saying. I'm showing off my Ted Lasso Believe sweater, and then I got my Ted Lasso calendar, and then my Ted Lasso sign, and I got Ted Lasso socks. And Dimple just sent this thing to me that I'm opening up right now. So, listeners, I have to say that his Ted Lasso sweater is actually really cute. So. Yeah, look at that. It's a Ted Lasso. Uh, what is it? A ho- coaster? What is it? A holder? What is it? It's like one of those like beer cozy. Beer cozy. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. This is awesome. You're welcome. Oh, sweet. And I also have a Ted Lasso candle just in case from last time. Oh, my goodness. This is too much. Yeah, you've definitely cleaned up on the Ted Lasso swag. The only yeah. thing I walked away with was the Ted Lasso calendar this year. So, yeah, which is kind of funny. I've gone a bit crazy. It's it's, it's got it out of hand, frankly. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. We are here today to talk about Season 2, Episode 9, Beards Night Out. Uh, this one was written by Joe Kelly and Brett Goldstein. And directed by Sam Jones. I was waiting for Jeff to watch this episode because I was so curious about what was going to come up for you. So I just want to start with initial impressions. Am I high? Is that, that's what I was. That's what I was either saying. Am I high? Am I? Is he dreaming? He must be dreaming. What is happening? I don't understand what's happening. Why does Terry Henry keep coming up? Like, these are all the things that were popping up in my head where I was just like, what is going on? You know, and also like, oh, it's so awesome that we get to hang out with the three fans. But it was just like, there was so much weirdness and also so different from all the other episodes because it's just featuring like one person. Yeah. And maybe yeah, the three other guys. But other than that, it's really just about beard. And it was just like the whole time I was like, I don't know if this is real. I don't, it can't be real. No, this is real. No, it can't be real. His key got stuck. He clearly it's not real. Like I, I kept going back and forth all the way to the end. 
Yeah. When I finally realized what had actually happened. But the, yeah, the whole time I was questioning my own reality. Yeah. Did you like it? Did I like it? I mean, I liked it in the sense of like, it reminded me of, I don't know, when have you ever traveled or just had a night where you like just said yes to everything and it was such a random night? Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like that. Like, that yeah. weird but obviously tenfold because, you know, it's a, it's a show and, you know, he's getting chased by people and things like that. It's just one of those like weird, strange nights that you'll never forget, but you'll also not be able to describe to somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. huh? This one was a very like divisive episode for the Ted Lasso community. Really? Yeah. So there were some people who really loved it and we can get into why in a bit. And then there were others who just felt that it was that was super dark and not in you know alignment with what huh. Ted Lasso typically is like, things like that. For the listeners, this was the other um, kind of added episode after the fact. So remember we talked about season two was originally supposed to be 10 episodes. And then after the fact, Apple gave them another two. And so this was the second one of those. And there was a great uh, piece that the LA Times put out that we can link to in the show notes. What they wrote in the Times piece was, uh, Brett said that we approached it with the device of what would an episode of Ted Lasso be like if it was told from Coach Beard's point of view. And then he went on to say, it's why the theme, tune, and the look and tone and style of it are different. It's a whole different vibe, much darker and stranger because Beard's brain isn't as sunny as Ted's. We threw in everything, says Goldstein. Greek mythology, music, dancing, signs, threats, films, self-destruction, redemption, and love. And I feel like to your point about not being able to describe it, like that's a great description. It's like everything in the kitchen sink, you know? I find it interesting that it was controversial because... I don't know. It's something fascinating about the idea that like, this is not in the Ted spirit as if like it's still being defined, right? Like it's still evolving as it's almost like someone saying like, well, I knew the band before they sold out, you know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, and first of all, we've never seen beard for so long, right? We I'm all, you're always curious about what's going on with that dude and what's actually in his head. And you've never actually seen the episode from any other person's point of view besides Ted. Yeah. So why not experiment with that, especially if you get like a bonus episode, you know? Yeah. And what I really loved about this is the fact that they did take such a creative chance with Mm -hmm. this, right? And I think uh, we've talked about this before, that it's so easy to be sitting and looking from the outside and making judgments and, and whatnot. But as the artist, that piece of creativity is it's really like there's a lot of vulnerability involved. And I loved that they took that risk and just created something that is really interesting and different (laughs) and actually filled with a lot of symbolism. Yeah. So it's called Beard After Hours, but it was actually an homage to Martin Scorsese's 1985 film After Hours. And I never saw that. But the description of that one is a man spending an ultimate alternately exciting and nightmarish evening on the town while periodically losing his money and or keys and then basically trying to get home. And so they kind of use that as the framework, but then they changed it right throughout. I just thought that that was really 
clever and creative. I'm going to go a little dark and a little risky right now to take this to a place that it didn't think I would take it to. But there's something interesting. You know, I make a lot of TikTok videos and they always say when you make a viral video, then the algorithm as well as people want you to then continue to make the exact same thing over and over and over again, like forever. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's so limiting about that. It's almost like being in jail. Like this is a reach, but this is actually a conversation I recently had for anyone that's listening now is not that long ago, maybe like a month or a month and a half ago, Twitch uh, passed away. Twitch is, was this dancer slash DJ who ran, um, basically ran Ellen DeGeneres' like music during her show for, I don't know, probably over a decade. And he was like considered like one of the happiest guys on Instagram. Like people literally went to his Instagram page for happiness during the pandemic because he would do all these dances and things like that. And I was talking to a friend of mine regarding Twitch because he unalived himself and people are like, I can't believe that. He has three kids. I thought he was the happiest guy. He has everything. He's rich. He's powerful. Like he's attractive. He's like, he has all these things. So how why would he do that? And I wonder if part of the of that was the pressure that he had to be just one way, you know? And this pressure that he had to like any event that he had to show up to, he had to be happy dance happily the happy dance guy he had to bring the joy he had to bring the play he had to bring the fun and that's a lot of pressure all the time you know and it was just like where was his outlet where he could be something else and i think a lot of times we push that upon people that we limit them in a certain way and i think back to this episode and people's backlash toward it and, and it's almost like well you can't be another way because i only know you this way and i expect only this from you i expect ted lasso happiness and joy and none of this weird stuff and it's just like you gotta let people be more than just one aspect of themselves you know and i think we need to embrace that more because that's just a healthier, you know, coming from a positive psychology way of like allowing all the feelings to show up. I completely agree. And one of the things I wrote down as as one of the themes was this idea of kind of the masks that we hide behind, mm. right? And I think that that definitely showed up a lot in this episode as a whole. I, I know you're speaking more to the general like members of the Ted Lasso community not appreciating the episode, but you know, it's interesting when we think about death by suicide because. We heard this with Robin Williams. We heard it with Anthony Bourdain, you know, that seemingly they're people who have, and then as you mentioned with Twitch, that they're people who have everything. And yet there's just this unhappiness within them or like, a, you know, something, something missing, some kind of a hole um, that they can't fill. And I think you're right that a lot of it is this pressure to be a certain way or, you know, to be in the world, like there's a, a role that you play and, you know, bringing that back to the workplace. I think this is one of the things that I talk about a lot in working with organizations and this idea of allowing people to show up as whole human beings because everyone's wearing a mask and mm -hmm. we have no idea what's actually happening in someone's life, which is all the more reason that we want to, you know, we should want to get to know people and what's really happening so that, we're keeping that in mind and just, you know, not 
making assumptions and and whatnot um, about who they are, why they're behaving the way they are, and without, you know, I mean, kind of coming back to the curiosity, getting curious about like, well, what's mm-hmm. really happening here? So, but to answer your question, the other part of why so many people were upset was because, um, you know, last week with Man City, like there were so many big breakthroughs, right? We had tell, or sorry, Ted telling um, Dr. Sharon that his father had died by suicide. We had Rebecca and, Han- and Sam hooking up, the hug you know, hug between uh, Roy and Jamie. So there was like a lot of momentum building up and people kind of felt just left to Mm. be like, well, what's going to happen now? Um, And suddenly there was this episode right in between that does not address any of those issues, doesn't move any of that storyline forward. And so it left a lot of people frustrated. But I love that they focused on Beard because Mm. I just think he's such an interesting character. and the mask that came off and what we got to see about who he is and how he's kind of suffering in some ways in silence, I thought was really fascinating. The other kind of themes for me in this one were definitely around the inner critic and then toxic relationships. Mm. I guess let's jump in. You want to just start at the beginning or were you going to say something else? Yeah. I mean, a theme for me that came up that I did not expect was also access, like mm. being able to get access to certain stuff. Yeah. From the beginning to the very end. Right. So, you know, the episode starts with, you know, a lack of attunement between Beard and Ted. Right. Like they go back to that episode and the last episode and he's really trying to connect with him. He keeps giving him gestures. He gives like three or four gestures of attunement and Beard rejects all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's that whole time lapse in the train, which I thought was really interesting. And also no Ted Lasso theme song, no chairs, like, like no sitting in the chair, like none of that. Yeah. So I wonder if that also, sh- it, it must've framed the, the narrative right there because like, He's sitting in the train. It's just like, well, where's the happy-go-lucky theme music that's supposed to come in, right? And then he gets home, and you know, he turns on the TV, and Thierry Henry is just roasting them. And this is the part where I don't know, like, what's real and what wasn't real because it was just like maybe he did, maybe Thierry Henry did say one thing about Beard, but then it just kept going, and you were like, okay, now he's hallucinating. Yeah, but what is that? And that is where I was like, yeah, what's happening? Yeah. Oh, this is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> so I will say the theme music for the show was there. It was just an acoustic version uh, performed oh. by Jeff Tweedy. And so the credits were still rolling, all of that stuff. Uh, but it was just over the time lapse footage on the, the train. So, uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I think it framed it very differently right from the start because it also starts out, you only hear Beard and Ted talking before it finally shows you the video piece of it with, with from last week. So all of it was kind of framed differently than other episodes have been. But yeah, I, you know, the first time I watched this, I had that same reaction where initially, you know, because obviously with these sports shows, they are going to critique the coaching mm-hmm. and things like that. So initially it seemed very plausible that that they were talking about him. Um, and his strategy. But as it continued, yeah, it became, especially when he was like about the chessboard coffee table. 
<laughs> I said, oh, okay. This is so the not Thierry Henry, but the other person. Not Thierry Henry, but the other I don't remember who the other sportscaster was, but he made a comment about living alone with a oh, right, right, right. chessboard coffee table. And so that's really when I was like, okay, this is not real. But it was interesting because for me, this was where we start getting the first glimpse of Beard's kind of inner critic. And so, mm-hmm. which apparently comes in the form of Terry Henry. Mm-hmm. I mean, Terry even said the glass slipper broke and sliced the Achilles heel. And I'm like, oh, goodness, that's such good writing. Yeah. But he says just flat out, I hate Coach Beard. And like, and that was, I mean, that's pretty. Oh, that's hilarious. It's like, whoa. And so it was like that first like glimpse of, oh, Beard's really having some thoughts about himself here, uh, which was interesting. So, yeah. So then from there, he made his way to the pub and then got reprimanded by May. (laughs) So that's what I was wondering. I was just like, what's real and what's not? Because she starts going off at him and I'm like, was that real? Or is he again hearing his inner critic? And then the three guys, when they came up, I was like, oh, he's definitely going to hear it. And then they did it. And I was like, this is so weird. I love those three guys. I love them. I love those three. They are, they add so much and just their pure love for Richmond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, they just add so much to every scene. But initially when Beard gets there, he's talking about, you know, when May asks him, you know, no Jane tonight. And he says, well, we broke up. Mm-hmm. And then he, he shares like, you know, what he, like the, the vulnerable side of, you know, I told her I loved her and she didn't respond. Yeah. And then, you know, then May goes after him about the game. And I kind of felt like it was real. I think a lot of people were frustrated. So in my mind, that part was real. But but then <laughs> when she kept screaming when he was already at the table, that was a little, I was like, huh, okay, that feels a little bit. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But here we see that he drops his keys. And that's how the guys actually initially come to him was um, about the fact that he dropped his keys so they came to return them. And so keys played a huge role yeah. in this episode. And we see throughout that he drops his keys or loses his keys and then finds his keys and then the key breaks. And so apparently in the original After Hours movie, the keys were also a big theme. But I did go down the the rabbit hole of, you know, what do keys symbolize and what was happening. Well, so there was a just overall symbolism for losing keys or a metaphor Mm -hmm. was that losing keys symbolizes losing access to spiritual power or knowledge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Losing keys can be seen as a metaphor for losing control over our own lives. It can represent our feelings of vulnerability and being at the mercy of fate. It can also reflect our personal or professional struggles in life and remind us that we're not alone in these challenges. And I feel like all of those things were happening for Beard in this episode. Um, But then someone else said it might have been a a reference to a Hafiz poem. And so Hafiz was a Sufi poet from the 14th century. And the poem says, uh, the small man builds cages for everyone he knows while the sage who has to duck his head when the moon is low, keeps dropping the keys all night long for the beautiful rowdy prisoners. And so it's all about a man under a blue moon whose keys set others free while he traps himself in the very settings that he frees others from. Interesting. So I just, yeah, that was really interesting. And so 
regardless, I think could be anything, but I, I like just the general symbolism and general, general metaphor, because I felt like that really described so much of what was happening to Beard throughout this episode. Yeah. So. I also, the dream of losing, telling you to stop and reassess some aspect of your life. I mean, I guess he is at that point reassessing some aspect of his life, like, mm-hmm. you know, what to do next. Right. And that's why I love it that what he chooses to do is to drink with the three dudes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. And then they start asking him those amazing questions. Those were the best. They had some really like random questions. I know. It was like, what's Vegas like? And it's, he's right. Three days is way too many nights in Vegas. Two is, is pushing it, you know? Um, and then it was just like, yeah, Ted Lasso is just a man. But then I love the last question. How can the universe be infinite, but your consciousness can end in a second? I was like, whoa, dude. Yeah. And then they must have drank at least like then 20 beers on that table after that. So I was like, I would have loved to be part of that conversation. Well, and we come to realize that by the end that Beard's been talking about it all as a simulation. <laughs> and so... Well, then you also then, if it's a simulation, then you're also wondering, is this a dream, right? Yeah, you're, yeah. So you're constantly, and maybe this is also why some people were frustrated, you're constantly questioning your reality. You don't understand what is actually happening, and you're like, I just want to be clear, is this real or not? And and their answer is like, I don't know. Yeah, that whole scene was a lot of comedy. It was really nicely done. So. In this space, we also find that Jane has now responded to Beard and basically is, I mean, she's ignored the I love you part, but basically the texts that she sends him are, you know, I saw the result, unlucky, come find me, question mark, Mm -hmm. and then you'll feel better. Um, And then when he asks where she is, um, she says that she's gone to a club and she thinks that that's what he needs. And the last thing that she sends him is, you know, if you're not going to join me, then I hope you're at least going to go have some fun. Yeah. And and you see him initially before the boys come over um, where he's kind of typing a message to her. I told you how I felt. I can't keep doing this if you won't. Ah, that's what it said. Okay. And But he deletes it. He never actually yeah. ends up sending yeah. it. Yeah. So instead of going to find her, he decides he does. He doesn't want to go home. And so that's another thing with the keys is he keeps losing his keys. So there's a question of like, maybe he just doesn't want to go home. Yeah. But he wants to go out. And so now they're talking about this bones and honey club. Well, this is where it comes into the idea of access, right? They're like, Cher couldn't even get into this place. And then he's just like, oh, I'm going to get us into this place, you know? And, and maybe that's part of also what Beard is so great at like problem solving, right? Like I will solve this problem for Ted. Mm -hmm. And right now I will solve this problem for these three guys. Right. So he plays that game, you know, to, uh, tell the hostess that their her house is on fire. Her flat is on fire. And then as they're going up the elevator, I found that so interesting because one of them was like, well, won't she be really angry when she gets there? And he says something that I feel like was quoted in some other movie where he was just like, tomorrow she's going to wake up and this is going to be like the best day of her life. Yeah. Because she knows that she hasn't like lost her flat. And I thought that was such an interesting perspective. (laughs) 
So it, you're right. It was a quote from another movie. It was actually from Fight Club. Ah, there it is. I knew it was in some. Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember it's when he it's when the Brad Pitt's character grabs the uh, store clerk from some like bodega or whatever it is and literally threatens his life and takes his driver's license and he's just like, what do you want to be doing? Because I know you don't want to be doing the store clerk job. And he's like, I want to be a doctor or something to that effect. And he's just like, if you're not making steps to be a doctor in a year, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill you. And then you go, he goes back to his house later on and you see that he's done this at least 40 times because he has driver's licenses of all these people. So you're like, oh my goodness. So yes, I remember that. And I can't believe I remembered <laughs> so much of that. Yeah. And it's funny because you just see a little bit of like deviousness and beard there too. Mm -hmm. you know? A little fight club in them. Yeah. Um, and then there was a callback to the, well, was, actually, I want to go back for a second because I, I was thinking, um, you know, so when they said that there's a dress code and May pulls out the lost and found box and then they walk out, you know, and I, all I could think about was how many people have lost their like coats and stuff at, <laughs> at this point? Pub, um, enough to dress all four of them, which I thought was really funny. And dressed quite well, by the way. And you and they probably yeah. do leave a lot of stuff at, at bars. I can't imagine how much stuff is left, especially if you've yeah. been drinking so much. Yeah. Yeah. And so then once they're actually in the club and they get upstairs, and right away mm -hmm. the boys are like, We don't belong here. And that whole like inner critic, right? Inner imposter yeah. syndrome, yep. And that whole back and forth, and we get a call back to the strutting, right? Because Beard says, you know, feel free to strut. After he tells them, like, if you'd want, if you could be anywhere, you'd want to be here, right? So just act like it. But yeah, he goes knock that shit off, right? And he's then he's like, who wants to? Who wants an overpriced beer that I'll pay for? And you know, I love that he asked that because he knows they don't have any money, right? Like they barely are able to pay May. They probably have tabs with May and they probably have never been out like out, out like this. Usually, you know, talk about what you said earlier about wh who was the poet that you mentioned? Hafiz. Hafiz. He's a Sufi poet. Because yeah. like talk about yeah. the idea of r releasing people from jail is Beard is release them from this jail of just being at the regular pub. He has now provide them access to this brand new experience. And it's really scary for them, right? And then he's yeah. just like, and then, so of course, then of course they go over to the pool table. Like I go over to play whenever I'm feeling awkward in a, in a new space and go to something familiar where then also then they're reminded that they don't belong there by those Oxford graduates. Yeah. And I love that Beard tells them to feel free to strut. So mm -hmm. we get a call back to the strut from like, I think it was season one. And what's funny to me is the way they strut is the way Nate strutted. That really awkward, mm -hmm. um, you know, move. But yeah. So these Oxford guys who can see right away that these guys are different and you can kind of see the direction it's going and then Beard appears again. Mm-hmm. And now he's got this Irish accent. Yep. Which, it was a pretty good Irish accent. It was great. Yeah. He introduces himself as Declan Patrick Aloysius McManus. What's funny, and this was a little fun fact I read about, is in the background, you hear Elvis Costello playing 
the song that's playing in the background is Elvis Costello. That's actually Elvis Costello's real name. Oh, that's cool. The name that he gave as the professor. And so that was a fun little kind of tie in there. But what I loved about when he came in with his Irish accent is they tested him, right? They mm-hmm. were like, okay, well, you're, you were at Oxford. We were at Oxford. Where, you know, were you, what, what, ha- you know, which house? We're at this house, Christ Church. That, yeah, that's not a house, though. That's the actual like school. So at Oxford, there's a whole bunch of colleges. Right. And so the one Christchurch would be one of the colleges that they're mentioning. But the fact that like he knew there were rivals, you know, then he knew what house he lived in and he knew that the clock struck at 815 or something like that. Yeah. And talk about like, you know, breaking through the imposter syndrome as he's actually being an imposter right now, you know. Um, and playing this really fascinating game. He's like, yeah, when the Dobson organ plays at 8.15, don't you hate that? And then all of a sudden they go from like, you don't belong with us to be like, you Merton mother, you know? Yeah. And then and then he mentions the Cambridge rowing team and then it's like, that's Harry Gill. Like the fact that all of that happened, not only was that, talk about like attunement and really like making a connection with them, but by him doing that, he again provided access. He freed the three guys from the jail. So they now are friends with these guys. Like he opens the door for them and then he leaves, you know, to pursue the mysterious woman in red. But again, he's freeing, you know, and, uh, and providing like an experience that these three guys would never have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. And we get to like, see beard as beard again because when he explains why he knew all that information it's because he dated a professor at oxford Mm -hmm. and he says i listen more than i talk Mm -hmm. and that's beard at its core right even at in when he works with ted or when he's working with the team he listens more than he talks and so uh we get a little piece of beard back again um yeah so then from there he moves into what i assume would be kind of a place where people go and sit and get high. Right, like a private <laughs> room where you, I guess you do whatever you want to do in there. <laughs> uh, those little mushroomy things. Uh, or I guess they're kind of like lava lamps on TV, right? But then again, you have to question your reality because he sits down and then all of a sudden all the TVs start to turn to the game again. Yeah, And you're like, what's real and what's not real? And then the tearing of the pants. I wonder what's tearing of the pants in dr- in a dream. I wonder what that. That's yeah. I didn't actually look that one up. That's a good question. That'd be interesting. I'll look it up right now. But like you know, the tearing of the pants, and then him being caught. You know, he doesn't belong there. Um, and then being thrown out, even though his friends now have new friends. So maybe you know, actually, now that you're saying that, now that I'm hearing you saying that, that I guess is really another. Th- theme and ties hand in hand with the the mask wearing is this idea of belonging, right? Othering and belonging, because we've heard the word belong so many times throughout this episode yeah. as well. And or feelings of not belonging. Um, and then when the guys get up to the pool table and the Oxford, you know, guys are asking them all the questions, there's some like attempted othering happening there. And so um I think that's definitely part of 
kind of the overall theme is where do you where do you belong? Right. Well, this is also interesting. Dreaming of wearing torn pants indicates that you feel betrayed in real life. Oh, interesting. So I wonder at the time when his pants are torn, he's thinking about Jane again and being like, oh, my gosh, you know, she betrayed me. She doesn't love me. And I so that is oh, that's fascinating. It could be Jane, but I think it also could be Ted. Right. Because it's true. Like. The initial uh, Thierry Henry, when they first start out in his apartment, kind of talking to him, or maybe it's in this one, I can't remember. And they talk about how he should, you know, he knew that the aggressive defense should wouldn't have worked. And why didn't he, you know, stand up to Ted and he's supposed to make Ted better and this and that. And so it, I think there could have been some feelings of betrayal there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. But yeah, so now we see the TVs come on and his inner critic is back at it because I think he's in the space of quiet. And when you're in the space of quiet is where the inner critic loves to come and keep you company. And so uh, we hear that he doesn't feel worthy of Jane. He's got incredibly low self-esteem, so low that he'd need a pep talk to kill himself, mm. which was so dark. Yeah, and that was super the dark. Fact that then Thierry Henry says, I'd like to give him that pep talk. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Yikes, dude. I yeah. was like, Thierry Henry in this was amazing. Right? Uh, it was amazing. You know, and for anyone that doesn't know, he was a phenomenal French player. Yeah. Um, you know, but he's even a better uh, sportscaster on um, Sky Sports, which is like the mecca of of. English Premier League and just soccer in general. And he's hilarious. You know, he's like Charles Barkley or Shaquille O'Neal of of soccer. Yeah. I thought he had good comedic timing. And oh, yeah, um, he delivered the line so well. Originally, when he walked in and he was ordering the beers, he had seen this woman dressed in red and was kind of flirting with her. And then she disappeared. And so when he gets thrown out, he finds her again. And they have a fun little exchange mm-hmm. <laughs> back and forth. And we come to find out that she um, is someone who collects men's pants and repairs them, (laughs) sews them up. So to your point about questioning reality, like that whole scene was very interesting as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm now looking up like, what does the red dress mean, right? In a dream. And it's just like dreaming of a red dress represents some level of obedience or compliance that's not good for you. Right. Or another interpretation, dreaming about a woman in a red outfit can mean anything from passion to rage. And it's just like, what? And that's again where it's just like, okay, is this the Matrix? Because in the Matrix, the movie The Matrix, there is a woman in red that like, you know, proves that it's not real. Right. So again, I was wondering like what's actually happening. Is she really there just gonna fix his pants? Like, yeah. Well, it's funny that you just read that description because when she tells him to take off his pants, he says, you're not you're not in charge of me or you're not the boss of me. I know. And I felt like that was misdirected right towards Jane. (laughs) Right. You're like, where's. Yeah, exactly. Like, where is that coming from? Okay. Yeah. And she doesn't even respond to that. She's just like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then she just keeps moving on. Yeah. I love these bell bottoms that she gives him, uh, which spurred a lot of uh, Halloween costumes this year. Oh, really? I didn't know. That's fascinating. A lot of people dressed up as Beard in the uh, 
bell-bottom pants. But yeah, so he says at one point, in all my happiest memories, I'm single, and that troubles me. Mm. And it was just a very quick line, but it stood out to me because I think it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I definitely, I have happy memories with people, but I also feel like there's a lot of time that I do things by myself that feel really good. And when I think about Mm -hmm. times that I've been really happy and it makes sense, right? Because when we are in relationship with other people, there are definitely good times, but there's also a lot of give and take there's back and forth, there's struggle. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I thought that that was a really interesting little line that he had in there. And then he dropped his keys again as well. Did she respond to him when he said that? Didn't she say something to him? I feel like she said something to him after. She did because she asked about if he'd ever been in love. She goes, you ever been in love? He said that there's someone in my life now. And then he said something about he always wants to be with her. Yeah, I want to be with her all the time. Is that love or is that a problem? Right. And she responds, why why couldn't it be both? Why couldn't it be both? Yeah. 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 And I think that's part's also super interesting, right? Because you could be in a, you know, long-term relationship and be miserable. You could also be in a long-term relationship and be happy and have that at the same time. And the same thing being single, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I recently saw this TikTok of this person that's single. It's how single people would talk to married people, the way married people talk to single people. And so she flipped it, right? And she's like talking to her friend. And she's just like, are you sure you don't want a divorce? It's so awesome when you get a divorce. Well, I'm just going to wait for when you're ready to get a divorce. Look, I bought you this outfit <laughs> just for when you get a divorce. Are you really that happy? Like just all the questions of like, you know, I've read a lot of studies that you don't, you know, you don't live as long, you know, as long as you're with somebody like, and it was just, just that flip of it and the and how rude that would be and be like you don't seem like you're that happy well you just let me know when you want to get a divorce because i know a good divorce lawyer that's just like right <laughs> over here that we could talk to and it's like whoa you know so it's it's funny that you know we are constantly trying to get someone to come over to our side, whether that's being single or whether that's being in a relationship, when you're trying to persuade yourself that you're happy in that in that space. Yeah. But, you know, as I'm thinking about his comment, it's interesting because, you know, we know as human beings that we're hardwired for connection. Mm-hmm. And so that connection is what leaves us feeling safe. And so if all his happiest memories are of being single, it does kind of beg the question of where does his connection come from? And maybe it is, you know, through like his work life or, or things like that. Through his friends. Yeah. Through his friends. Yeah. Like, which is, which again, and this is a debate we've had before, right. Of like, what's more important, your, you know, your relationship love or your friendship love. Mm -hmm. And he said single, he didn't say alone. That's true. You're right. You're right. And that that. there is a difference there, you know, uh, probably a huge amount of his happy memories are probably with Ted because that's been one of his closest friends. Is that bad? No, not at all. Is that sad? Like, yeah, like it seems. But yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Just something to keep in mind, I guess, you know, when we're thinking about that. But all right. So she's mending his pants and then the boyfriend gets home. (laughs) 
and I when I closed my eyes, I swear it sounded just like Roy Kent. It was a gruffer. Oh, it a, sounded exactly right? it was just like a gru- Roy Kent. A gruffer Roy Kent. I kind of again think they did that on purpose to make you feel as if it's a dream, like this is not real, mm-hmm. right? And he resembled what is it? He resembled the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. I forgot what his name was, but but like he looked like a character from like a a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he was big and um, bulky. Drax. Yeah. Yes, he was Drax from, from, yeah. So Beard leaves and jumps into the dumpster to get away. I mean, that is a leap. That's a four-story leap, dude. Yeah. That's why, again, I was just like, he can't, he has to be asleep. He can't be, this can't be real. Like, he can't be risking his life you know, right now. And then he uh, hops on the bus and we notice that it's a bus to Richmond. So it's like, okay, that's great. And then the lady on the bus is like, he didn't tap it. <laughs> Access again, right? Like what you can't, like, it's just like the membership thing over and over again, getting kicked out the, you know, oh man, just like you think you're safe and then you're not. Yeah. Which actually then makes sense again, because when he gets home, and he can't open the door again. You think he's safe and then he's not. There's so many times where I think he thinks he's okay. And then he is. Yeah. So he gets kicked off the bus and heads to a hotel to ask to use their phone. Uh huh. And so this was another callback to a movie. It was, um, Stanley Kubrick's eyes wide shut. So another one I haven't seen, but there's a scene in there with a testy hotel desk clerk. In that movie, it's Tom Cruise having the exchange with the character who's played by Alan Cumming. And so it was just kind of a callback to that. Um, oh, I got to watch that again. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a while. I didn't like that movie. So again, right, we're talking about access. You know, he's just simply like, can I use your phone? Mm-hmm. Well, first they even ask him, like, are you a hotel guest here? Right. And he could have lied. Yeah. You know, yeah. as he lied earlier as the professor, but he chose not to. And and there's another theme that I feel came up for me. It's access and then asking for help mm-hmm. because he's consistently asking for help. And he even asked for help from the woman on the bus. He's just like, hey, and then she's just like, F you, you know, so like and then this guy, you know, when he asked for the phone and then he's like, you can't use our phone because you're not a guest. And he's like, can I use your personal phone? And then he goes on this like conspiracy rant, you know. Like you can just see beard just like basically melting, you know, and you're just you're like, oh, this is the worst night ever. Yeah. And then this is where it gets just surreal, where I'm like, this cannot be real. Yeah. So he leaves and is just walking aimlessly, basically. And initially, there's a feeling that maybe it's the three guys that he left back in. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like it's his friends. And then we come to realize, no, in fact, it's the lovely James Tart, who Beard was the one who actually threw out in Man City, right? He's the one who pulled him out and, like, is the reason that he now has this bump on his head, you know, with the Band-Aid and stuff. That makes sense. Because I was like, why does Mr. Tart want to fight him? I didn't understand that. That's what I wrote. Yeah. So here's the interesting fact about this one. The callback here is uh, the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange. Um, And so that whole backlit, you know, with the light and you can't really see who they are. 
but what was really interesting was uh, Sam Jones, who directed this, he was interviewed and he said that particular shot was done for Lasso by the son of the camera operator who worked on the original 1971 Clockwork Orange film. What? Isn't that interesting? That's crazy. Yeah. And so random. I mean, not random, but also so fascinating. Right. Yeah. And then he's, you know, so then he's like running away from them. And then Tyrion Ree shows up again. And you're like, dude, he's he's in a dream. He's definitely in a dream. This can't be. I don't know. I think it's happening. But this is why I'm saying, like, I think for him, his inner critic shows up in the form of Tyrion Ree. And ah, so yes, yes. I think it's really just that his inner critic is popping up to be like, well, you know what? Like you brought this on yourself. Right. You know, you deserve to be, you know, hit. Yeah. Beaten. And and the line that really struck me was clearly he would rather punish himself than accept the love and support of the people around him. Ooh. I'm beginning to think Coach Beard hates himself. Ooh. Right. And so Ooh, call back to such that a again. burn, Tyrion Ray. <laughs> so I feel like that's he's thinking all these things about himself through the voice of Tyrion Ray, but um, mm-hmm. and then we see just him get the crap beat out of him, and it's three on one, and he doesn't stay down; like he keeps getting up. Yeah, and it's almost like you know in those movies where you see people who or like who really want to be hurt because they want to feel something yeah and so they'll like they will provoke the other person to into hitting them and so there's a a space where like he gets up and he makes some kind of a comment and i that's what came to mind to me it's like he's provoking him even further well well yeah so why do you think he said how about we call this a draw because he wanted to get beat up more was it that line i don't remember that's what he that's what he said he said and then he says, how about we call this a draw? And then I think Tart is like, you had to push it. And then just kept keeps going at him. Yeah. I mean, he knew about Jamie's dad and how he felt about uh, Jamie being on this team and that it was a losing team and, that, you know, they couldn't get past the draws, things like that. So maybe it was a callback to that. Yeah, because Tart hates draws, too. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, but it's just it felt so provoking. I think he could have said anything at that point. And, right, you know, I think right. it's just the fact that he got up and ha- had the gall to say anything. But the reason why I think it was a dream or I thought it was a dream at the time was because I was like, there's no way he bumps into Mr. Tart. There is no way Tart. Why would Tart beat him up? Why is Tyrion Re there? Why again can't he get into another door? Like he just can't get into any doors today. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden Drax comes up and and saves him, mm-hmm. right? And then you're like, wait, did Drax just save him so he could beat him up himself? So that was hilarious when he was just like, you left your wallet, and he had been chasing him probably on the rooftop when he leaped. You know, to talk about like not wanting help, mm-hmm. you know, he leaped off of the girl because he thought he was going to get pummeled by Drax. But Drax was simply wanting to give him his wallet. And this was the other callback to Roy Kent in that moment, because now he's talking all about his like his growth. Right. Like, oh, yeah, like I, I've, I've always been jealous and part of it. I know that I have worked, you know, I've worked through it because I used to cheat. And and so there's like that whole like self-evolution, self-involvement um, that we've seen Roy going through. 
<laughs> Such character development in less than 30 seconds, right. right? I was like, talk about healthy masculinity, just embracing it fully. Yeah. And he's like, the truth is we're having a baby, you know? And it was like, I really, you know, really excited, you know, and I, I don't want to lose her, which maybe also was a callback to like Beard being like, yes, I know what the feeling is like to lose somebody, mm-hmm. right? And wanting to still be with them. Yeah. And now feeling like you can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he gives um, he gives him his keys back again. And so there was one other comment about the keys that someone compared it to um, Inception, the movie Inception. Oh, yeah. And that it was like a, the keys were a tangible object that kept Beard grounded in reality. And that every time his keys were lost, the night took a turn for the worse until the keys were handed back to him at which point everything kind of temporarily righted itself again. Well, I guess it's like the spinning top that is an inception because he's like, as long as it's infinitely spinning, I know this is not real. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. I do. I do love though, as Drax is leaving, I'm going to call him Drax. (laughs) That's the guy, you know, Drax, Roy Kent Drax. He rides off in a scooter. I I saw that. That was actually really funny. His little scooter. Oh my gosh, it's just so it's just so awesome. Yeah. And then he gets the fifty-two texts from Jane. Yeah. That I mean And I'm like, and I don't understand if he's happy or sad because I only saw the maybe you paused it. I only saw I do love you, you know. That's the only thing I saw. Yeah. But I didn't know if he was happy or sad because he was kind of like losing his mind. First of all, it's excessive. It was 52 texts and 72 missed calls. No way. Yeah. 70? No. <laughs> so, uh, Are we supposed to be cheering for Jane or not? I don't understand. Like, I thought Jane was over, but now it's like... Jane is like super toxic. I do not cheer for Jane. <laughs> but... Um, well, I cheer for him being happy. You know, he feels... His life is interesting when he's around Jane. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he, her text messages were, hey, I do love you. You know, I said I love you. I love you, which was in all caps. And then, oh, now you can't say it back because I took too long. Oh. Fuck you, Beard. I did what you asked. I'm literally doing what you asked. Fuck you, Beard. There's a lot of men after me here. And so that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. I think he starts freaking out. It's kind of I think we've talked about this, like with a lot of times in these kind of toxic, abusive relationships. Yeah. It's like, you know, the person's not good for you. And then like you get the littlest bit of the littlest bit, right? Where like this crumb that they'll give you and you're like, yeah, okay. And I think that starving, right? Starving. And then you get the crumb. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Yeah. And And then he and then his phone dies. So that makes sense. So he's he's like furious because he needs to get in touch with her. Yeah. Oh, so. Yeah. Interesting. Yikes. And so right <laughs> as we <laughs> right as we see him walking away kind of like moaning about it, he walks by those um screens and they're replaying that scene from Man City where he gets upset at the ref or at Ted and like turns around to walk away, but like runs into that little divider thing and like flips oh, over yeah. it. And they're just replaying that. 
And then the last thing is he passes by is Ted like clapping at him. And so it was just perfectly timed. Yeah. Nice. I did not pick that up. Oh, I love that. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. So then at his lowest moment, the lowest moment, and I knew something like this had to happen because I was like, we need to see these three boys one more time. But then the three fans come and we got a limo. They're chanting, we got a limo. Talk about another time them turning something into a song mm-hmm. right yeah and they bring them in and it's great because i love the stories that they're telling because they're like we finally just told them who we were and they still are going to invite us to their country estate for easter and the other guy's like i don't even know what i'm gonna wear and it's like <laughs> hilarious that again because of beard their whole world has now been opened up and somehow because he opened up their mind now they've procured a, a limo for how we have no idea, but they've learned from Beard, mm-hmm. you know, and now they're healing him as he's because he has all these wounds now as he's heading home. Yeah. And then uh, they finally get like they still want to go out, but he just wants they still to wanna, yeah, yeah. He just wants to go home. He's tired. Uh, as they drop him off, he gives them the paper with the address and tells him uh, tell Renee Beard said it was OK. Yeah. And that leads to I just love that scene with them on the pitch. Oh, so but even before that. So did you look this up? What was the song they were singing? So as they're leaving, one of them goes, just one cornetto. And you're like, <laughs> and you're like, what does that? I didn't. I was like, I was like, I'm going to ask them because I don't know what this song is. But I felt like there was some symbolism to that song somewhere, you know, in the ether. I picked up on the song and I didn't look it up, but it, for me, it felt almost like maybe it was a, like a commercial jingle. Oh, okay. But I would be curious. I would definitely go back and look it up, but um, I didn't look that one up, but it was funny that, and, and Paul, the one who has the deep voice, like he, earlier in the night when he was talking about Cher, he was singing Cher in mm-hmm. his like deep voice. And so, uh, yeah, they're so funny. So go into the three boys, right? Like, you know, so even before they get to the pitch, you know, again, they have to break through their jail of limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, and knock on this door of this like shady area at, I'm assuming at two, 3 a.m. Yeah. And then this guy's taking him down this tunnel and then again, I'm thinking like, this must be a dream. This can't be real. I had thought at one point that Beard was going to bump into them, that they were like going to show up at the same club or something like that. Yeah. And then when he finally is like, you know, you know, what is that? And he's like, that's Nelson Road. And they go, what? You know, it's a fact that that is the dream of any, you know, football fan or soccer fan. However, you whether you call it football or you call it soccer, to do all the things they did on that pitch, right? Because you have always won and doing it in such a mess, like not even a, a glorious way. Like just you could clearly tell they're not that good at soccer, you know, or football, but they are just having so much fun, like being on the pitch, sliding on the pitch, making goals, you know, yeah. and just reliving their greatest. That's going to be one of their core memories yes. for the rest of their life. Yes. Like they will die. They could probably say, I'll die happy yeah. after having that. And and talk about, again, access and imposter syndrome and breaking through the limiting beliefs. Like 
dude, what Beard gave them was like one of the greatest nights of their life. For sure. And it was like this sense of like childlike wonder when they get out there that just was so mm-hmm. contagious. Like I could not stop smiling as like we are the champions are playing and they're just uh-huh. like all over and you just could not stop smiling and feeling happy for them, you know, yeah. for forgetting that. It was like this, uh, you know, sympathetic joy of like being excited for them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was actually so lovely. And, you know, what just came up for me as you were talking is that, you know, in this episode, there's so much about this idea of kind of not seeing the person, right, or not knowing what's really behind the person that you're interacting with. And, and especially with Beard, Beard's always been kind of a mystery. But then on the flips, these guys are kind of the flip side of that. Like, I feel like they are who they are on the surface, yeah. right? And so yeah. they're a great, like, contrasting mirror for that uh, yeah. because they're they're just that's who they are they're these fans with a an absolute love for richmond and you know and they they spend their life at the pub and they enjoy each other's company and and that's you know that's kind of who they are and so i uh yeah i don't know that just came up for me. and when they when they slide at the end and then they're like hugging each other on the ground <laughs> i was like oh yeah. Best moment. Yeah. I felt I've that's when like the dopamine was just so high for me and I was uh, so excited. Yeah. Um, And then I and it was funny because at that point I was just like, I hope this is not a dream. I hope they really did get to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we cut back to Beard. He breaks his key in his door. So now and then it starts pouring and. It's like he can't catch a break. He just can't catch a break. Yeah. And so he starts running and he sees a church and it's the same fluorescent purple cross that Jane is standing in front of in the picture that she sends him earlier. Right. Yes. Your favorite, favorite person, Jane, Jane Payne, Jane Payne. And so, oh my gosh. Yeah. And so we see him go in to pray. And and that was an interesting scene, too. First of all, there's the callback to uh, the Judy Bloom book, right? Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret's little boy. <laughs> mm. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought Margaret was his mom's name. I was like, what is that? I'm sure I it is. Know. But I, I, I thought it was funny that they said it in the way that uh, or they wrote it in the way that it calls back to the title of the book, too. And then he says, you know, I, I'm assuming you have bigger fish to multiply and fry. And I was like, whoa, goodness, dude. <laughs> yeah. First time caller, long time listener, first time caller. Like he had a lot of really funny lines in there. I know. I, he sounded like Ted Lasso for a minute there. I was just like, what's going on? Yeah. But then it got interesting as he started talking about Jane because he talks about how he cares about her deeply, but He has that awareness. So I'm under no illusions that she can solve what ails me. Mm. But when I'm with her, the world just feels more interesting. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that's so relatable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who hasn't been there with someone who you know is not good for you, but life is just fun when you are. Life is just more enjoyable. And you're just like, well, you know, I don't have anything else. So why don't I just keep this going? Yeah. 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 Uh. And as soon as he says that, it's like it's almost like he unlocks it for himself to where everything else falls away. Now he hears the music from uh, the rave next door and or inside the church. Inside, apparently, or yeah, inside I guess. the church. Yeah, I, I meant next door to where he was sitting. 
And yeah, so the song that's playing when he goes in there is one of my all-time favorite songs. It's called Hello by Martin Solveig and Dragonette. And I had never really like listened to the lyrics though. And so first of all, I have to say watching Brendan Hunt dance just gives me total and complete joy. Yes. And he takes off his jacket for the first time, which I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. He's like, let's do this. And he has the AFC Richmond underneath as well. So you're like, you know, it's still part of his core, but he's just like, he's, you know, by him taking off his jacket, I almost felt like he was like, oh, he's been here before. He's been not to this club, but he's been in this space. Yeah. Yeah. And so the lyrics are, um, I could stick around and get along with you. Hello. But it doesn't really mean that I'm into you. And then hello. And then you're all right. But I'm here, darling, to enjoy the party. Don't get too excited because that's all you'll get from me. Yeah, I think you're cute. But you really should know that I just came to say hello. And I was like, wow, that interesting really feels like his relationship with Jane. Also, That is totally I think that's totally the relationship he wants to have with Jane. Oh, interesting. I don't know if it's the relationship. He, I don't know if it's a relationship he has with Jane. He wants to be able to just walk away after this. But can he? Oh, interesting. I almost felt like it's like Jane talking to him, right? Like, oh, I could be here, but I'm not really into you in that way. And you know, I just came to say hello, but yeah, it could I be, mean, could be either. It could be both. Who yeah. knows? But as always, it's like such an applicable song and lyric in the right moment. Yep. yep. And then Jane shows up and she hands him the hula hoop. And a lot of people I was looking online and a lot of people. Wait, does she hand him the hula hoop or does she put it on? Him? She puts it on him and says, try this on. And then tells him to go up on the the little platform. And oh, does she tell him to go up there? Yeah. Oh. And Brendan Hunt is a phenomenal hula hooper in real life, <laughs> so they they managed to incorporate it into this. And um, so Jason Sudeikis every year headlines along with a few other celebrities um, this big charity event called Thunder Gong in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. and um, they sing songs and all this. It's really funny. And for the last couple of years, he's uh, Jason has performed as Ted Lasso, um, at least one song. And this time, uh, Brendan Hunt was up there with him, and there's a great video of him up there hula hooping and, and singing um, at this, this uh, Thunder Gong performance. That sounds awesome. I want to go to that. Uh, he's got some moves, though. That I don't know if you noticed him dancing while he was hula hooping. Like that was yeah. pretty phenomenal. <laughs> so, uh, what really struck me here, though, was that at the end of all of it, this was what he needed, and she had said that to him at the very beginning of the night. I think this is what you need, right? He needed to just work all that energy out of his body. And that's exactly what he did. And what's interesting is as they start dancing and looking at each other, talk about like finding attunement with Jane mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. I felt like that was the exact opposite of how he started with Ted lacking attunement as he was like walking away. So it was just the the dichotomy and how much he had evolved during that time. Mm-hmm. So then the question then comes up for me uh, to you is the, is Jade good for him still? Because she knows? I don't know. I mean, it did It did make me wonder, right? That maybe there's something there where she 
sees him in a way that other people don't. Do I think she's toxic? Yes. <laughs> Is that good for Beard? No, not for the most part. But, you know, maybe there's bits and pieces uh, of redemption there that, you know, we got the opportunity to see. And you see, like, he's just finally feeling joyful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the Hafiz, you know, poem earlier, right? The whole day he was dropping the keys and letting the three boys, you know, get access to stuff they would never get access to, freeing them from the jail. And then finally, at the end, it seems like he got his own key to free himself. And then I'm wondering the whole time still, I'm like, is this a dream or not? Like, I don't understand. I don't get it. And then the next day, they're waiting for him. He hasn't woken up, assuming. And he's like, no, no, Beard, Beard's going to come through. Beard is like the mailman, you know? And he walks in and the whole time, I'm just looking. I'm like, are the pants on? Are the pants on? Like, what pants is he wearing? So then finally, when he lifts his pants up, I'm like, oh, my goodness, it was real. At first, I was like, I don't know if I want it to be real. No, good. I'm glad. I'm glad it's real because that means those boys actually got to be on that pitch that day. That's very nice. I think it's funny that nobody mentioned the pants when he walked in, though. Like, I can't imagine they wouldn't have noticed them. But you see Ted make kind of a weird face when Beard actually puts his legs up. And so it seems like that's the first time he noticed. But he also points out, he's like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. he points out his eyes. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, Like, we don't need to talk about it. And I think after that, he was just like, not going to mention the pants. So that was a nice, like, kind of callback because we, at the very beginning, Ted reminds him, it's your turn to bring in coffee tomorrow. And so that, Mm -hmm. like, closes out that whole loop. And then he goes back into listening mode, which is beard, you know? Yeah, I I was like, is he going to sleep? But then as they're panning away, there's that, Grandarium Firmus Victoria. Did you see that? No, I didn't notice that. Is that what's on the wall? Yeah, so as they're pan they pan out. Ooh, interesting. Someone on Reddit wrote about it. Yeah, uh Grandarius Firmus Victoria loosely translates to slow and steady wins the race. Let me know what you think. Oh, is that what's on the locker room? Yeah, that's what's on the locker room. So yeah. we, I Ta- think we did talk about that in the first season. But Taking yeah. small steps towards victory. So it's just like, maybe that was a small step. Yeah. I don't know. Towards him overcoming his own issues and maybe getting out of toxic relationship. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Or jumping into it. I mean, even more. <laughs> Double downing. But overall, I know. I, I just, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed this episode. I, you know, it, it makes me want to have one of those, you know, yes and sort of nights where you just say yes to everything and you just see what actually happens. Yeah. I don't think that happened for Beard, but I definitely feel like it happened for those boys. Yeah. I mean, the first time that I watched this episode, I was definitely confused. Like I, it took me a while to really get through it back when it actually originally came out. And then I've watched it a few times since then. And I have to say this time, I genuinely enjoyed it. One thing we didn't talk about is the symbolism of the blue moon. Oh, yeah. So the blue moon in modern Wiccan and pagan religions um, is like a, a big symbol. And then many people treat it as an especially magical time, which I think kind of goes with the magicalness of this episode, which I thought was kind of fun. I'm trying to think if there's any other little fun facts that we might not have touched on yeah i think we covered a lot today and also because we've had a brief break you know 
since watching this episode, yeah. I wasn't as like like yearning for like what's going to happen next. Yeah, you know, with Sam and Rebecca, or with uh, Roy and Tart, or you know, Beard and Lasso. So I almost feel like this was like a moose bouche, you know, like a clearing of the palate. I just watched the movie The Menu, and it was just like that whole idea of like clearing the palate before you go to the next dish, which will be episode 10. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any takeaways from today? You can get into wherever you want to. We set certain limiting beliefs and put ourselves in our own jail. But, you know, you can be a Professor Declan or or simply yourself and get into a lot of places that you don't think you could get access to. Yeah, I really like that. That's going to be the takeaway I got. I really like that. I think my takeaway just comes back to sometimes the thing, the place where we started was exactly the place we needed to be. So, mm. you know, he he needed to just be out dancing away the night and he ended up doing all these other things which were interesting, but ultimately like where he could have started was where he ended anyway. So mm. anyway, well, thank you everyone for listening and thank you, Jeff, as always, I appreciate you. This was definitely a fun conversation. Um, yes. And I'm excited for episode 10. Talk to y'all later. Bye everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of what would Ted Lasso do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, Try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.